Well, good morning to all, and especially to Buster, since he'll call me out if I don't say good morning. <laughs> good morning. <laughs> well, please turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Uh, last week I mentioned that I was following Neil's lead on planting my snow peas early, and sure enough, they're coming up. So, good, so, good, uh, so far, so good. Uh, last week we considered Jesus' parable of the sower, the seeds, and the soils. And this week we're going to continue in Jesus' parables as we uh, read Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 34. We're going to see a lot of the same kind of agricultural themes that we saw already. Begin in Mark chapter 4, verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a, on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out, it, uh, puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. Let's pray. Father, again we thank you for speaking to us, that you have spoken your word and we have received it. We pray that you would help us, that you would make us a people who are fruitful, and in our day that you would use us uh, for others who have not heard yet, or maybe some ha that have heard but haven't believed yet, Lord. I pray that you would use us in their lives, uh, that you would uh, cause us to, to keep growing in you, Lord, that we would know you and love you better. And help us towards that end this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark will say at the end of our passage that we just read that Jesus uh, spoke uh, the word to these people here in, in many such parables. In fact, it says in that he did not teach them without a parable. Now, even though as he would go on, as we saw last week, to talk to his disciples in private, and he would interpret that, it to them in private. Well, if we pull these three parables together, uh, I think we can find some common themes that run through, throughout them in a common application. I think the call for us as we read this is to seek to grow in Christ and spread your faith while you entrust it all to God. I think we want to grow in Christ Spread our faith as we entrust all of that to God. As we work through these, uh, we would see in the first parable here, we might call a shining light. In the second parable, we'd see the growing harvest. And in the third, see an expanding kingdom. We're going to take these parables one at a time and, and work through them. 
Well, in the first part of this first parable, uh, we, we see that Jesus talks about uh, a lamp. Uh, he, uh, uh, he, here, excuse me, uh, he is discussing this lamp. Uh, in other places, like in Matthew chapter 5, he'll talk about the fact that we are lights. And he'll say that uh, we don't hide our lights, but rather we shine out. I don't think that's exactly the point he's making here. Uh, in fact, uh, as he talks about a lamp that's brought in, uh, he, he's talking about one lamp, and the English here talks about being brought in, but the Greek is actually more forceful. It says a, a light doesn't come in. It, it's actually a different verb altogether, the idea of something coming in. Um, and I think here perhaps Jesus is actually referring to himself. He is perhaps the light here that is coming. Um, John will talk about Jesus in John chapter 1 as the, as the true light that gives light to all the world. Um, Jesus is likely the one who's coming in here as a light. I think Jesus sees himself as that light. Um, and if that's the case, then I, I think he's returning to a previous theme we've already seen last week is in chapter 4, verse um, 10 to 12. He talks about things being revealed and things being concealed. Uh, and I think that's uh, pertinent to what he's saying here in this parable. He says that the mystery of the kingdom has been given to those who listened to him, but not to outsiders. Um, it was not, and, and beyond that, it's not only Jesus' teaching that's veiled in parables that we see here, it's, it's also his person as we've seen it through Mark's gospel. Um, earlier, you will recall in chapter 1 that when a demon says, I know who you are, you're the Holy One of God, he silences the demon. He doesn't want the demon telling everybody who he is. We see that again in chapter 3, verse 12. The demon says that he's the son of God, and Jesus silences the demon. There's something at this point in Jesus' ministry that about his teaching and about his person that is concealed. He, he's not letting everything be known. There is a veil over his person and his teaching. Um, but in the meantime, for those who are coming and hearing, he's stressing to them that they have to listen. They have to hear. You who have ears to hear, listen. He's inviting them to, to hear him truly for what he is speaking. And I think it's in light of that, then the next verses come in 24 and 25. He says, And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added. For the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken. The disciples must be careful to listen to Jesus, as opposed to those who, although they heard, they didn't understand. They need to be careful to listen. In fact, what the disciples had been given would increase. Uh, it would become clear that Jesus was the Messiah. We'll see later in, Luke's, in, in Mark's gospel, Jesus will be declared that, that he's the Christ uh, by his disciples. Uh, but more than that, and they didn't get it, that the Messiah would have to suffer. They just didn't get that. They didn't understand the fact that the Messiah would have to suffer. And even beyond that, that the Messiah would rise from the dead. These first disciples had accepted Jesus and his teaching. They heard it and they received it. Um, but they didn't fully get who he was. We'll see that later, I think, in Mark chapter 8. That there's a, this healing that takes place in two stages. And it seems to be pointing to the fact that although the disciples receive Jesus, they, they don't quite get him yet. There's aspects that they don't get. And we'll see that further in Mark's gospel. 
But if they listen now, if they receive Jesus, they would receive more. And those who did not listen, even what they knew would be taken away. It's puzzling. It's a puzzling fact that many of Jesus' first hearers in Galilee would ultimately reject Jesus. Many listened to Jesus with intrigue, but at the end of the day, they rejected him. Even further, within a few decades, the Jewish community in Israel would expel the Christians from their synagogues. And what would happen as a result of that is that the Christians would be forced uh, to have to confront the Roman state on their own. For a while, for a few decades, the Christians uh, enjoyed the religious freedom that the Jews had. For a couple hundred years, the Jews had clashed with the Greeks and then with the Romans, and ultimately they had some level of freedom to worship God without having to worship the pagan deities. And when the Jewish community expelled the Christians, then the Christians had to face Rome on their own terms. Uh, and, and much of the persecution that happened in that first century was uh, started as that rift continued. But many of the people who heard Jesus, they didn't really hear him. They didn't understand him. They would go on to reject Jesus and persecute his followers. Even what they had, what they thought they had, would be taken away. Well, where does that leave us to read this parable? I, I don't think this is just a historical note. I, I think it is true for his first listeners, and that's, that's true. But there's a dynamic there that we share with them. Uh, we live on this side of the resurrection, this side of Pentecost, and this side of the completion of the New Testament. For those first disciples under Jesus as his apostles, the more added to them would be additional revelation as they continued to grow to know who Jesus is and grow deeper in their understanding of him. And to us, as Jesus' disciples farther down the road, we inherit this good deposit that's been entrusted to us by them. And so we should press into the Bible. We should press into all of it. We've been given the totality of the scriptures, and so we have to pay attention to it. We have to listen to its message and accept it. And if we do, we will continue to grow as we press in. Not a single one of us is going to exhaust all of what this book has to tell us about God. But there will be a special joy for us if we exhaust ourselves trying. We should find in this parable, further, a promise regarding the profitability of applying ourselves. We should see in this parable a promise for us if we put our heart to understanding God's word. Some people never take up and read God's word because they wonder if they're going to get anything out of it. Or maybe others think that they're not smart enough to understand it. But that is wrong thinking. Understanding God's word comes as a gift from God to the one who seeks it. You don't have to go to Bible college to understand God's word. You don't have to have a seminary degree to open this book and meet God. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.7, he says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Well, there Timothy's called to think, to think about it. Think about what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding. It's the Lord who gives us understanding of his word. And it's not complicated and hard for us to open it up and read. Uh, this parable should encourage us that there is a reward for us if we apply ourselves to God's word. So make a habit of taking up your Bible, praying for understanding, and then searching for what God might show you about himself. You will be blessed. 
Let's look at this next parable now. We've seen the light shining. Uh, let's look at this growing harvest in verses 29, 26 to 29. I'll just read the parable again here. He said to them, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Now here, Jesus tells this parable. He's explicitly talking about the kingdom of God. Now I think he's probably been talking about the kingdom of God even previously, but here he mentions it, and we'll see that in the next one as well. Uh, in fact, Mark will summarize Jesus' preaching at the beginning of the gospel as regarding the kingdom. And back in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. There Jesus says that the kingdom of God is at hand. And when we were there, I tried to argue that the way that Jesus can say that the kingdom of God is at hand is because the king has come. Because the king is there, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is the king of that kingdom, though he is not universally recognized as that yet. In his thousand-year reign on earth after he returns, nobody's going to be able to deny it. People might deny it today, but nobody will when he reigns visibly. But for now... His kingdom is still present, and his kingdom is represented in his people. His kingdom is seen in the lives of his people, even as we face opposition at every turn in this world. In these two parables, Jesus will teach about the expansion of that kingdom. He's going to instruct us about its growth and its spread. In these verses, in this parable, Jesus returns to the image of seeds that have been planted. Um, but he's going to bring out a little bit of a different lesson than he did in the parable of the sower. Here, a man scatters seed on the ground, and then he goes to bed. And he gets up, and he goes to bed, and he gets up, and he goes to bed. And you get the idea. It goes on. Uh, this goes on for a good number of days. And in the meanwhile, the seed begins to grow. It sprouts, produces the, the blade, and then it bears fruit. And although the farmer doesn't understand how it works, the seed germinates and it grows. Uh, he doesn't have to teach the seed how to grow. He doesn't have to go out there and give the seed a pep talk about how to sprout out of the dirt. It just does it on its own. Uh, it says the earth produces by itself. His task is to plant it. The seed grows up until it's time for harvest, and at once... The word in Greek is Mark's favorite word here, immediately. And immediately, uh, when it's time for the harvest, the farmer puts the sickle in, and it's harvested. Now, what do we gather from this parable? What does it mean? I believe both this parable and the next point to the spread of the kingdom of God in this age. The harvest is coming someday, but we don't know exactly when. It is coming, and at that time, Christ will gather his people. Until that time, God's kingdom is growing. The total number of those who have walked this planet and trusted in Jesus will continue to grow until the harvest is fulfilled. And that's when the harvest will come. And only God knows when that is. But how does it happen? Now, is, it, is this parable saying that it's 100% on us to bring this about? I don't think so. We are responsible. Um, but as we're responsible to spread the word, 
uh, we sow, as this verse says, but we don't have ultimate control. We spread the seed, and God works from there. It's not in our power to save people. But Paul tells us, that, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1.16 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. God's Spirit works through God's word to do the work that we can't accomplish. But we must be faithful to plant it. It's, the task is on us to spread that seed. Now we seek that for ourselves to grow, and we seek that for others. We labor, and then we go to bed. We have to entrust all of our labor to God, because all of our work will come to nothing if God is not in it and working. So we work, we pray, and we trust God to work out his good purposes. That doesn't mean that it's easy, but it means that we can work with confidence. Let's look at our last parable here. Uh, it's going to be continuing in a similar vein. It talks about the expanding kingdom, I might call it, as he describes the mustard seed that, that grows. Uh, Jesus begins this parable with a question. He says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? He asks the question, of course, he has an answer for it. Uh, it's a rhetorical question. He says that the kingdom of God can be likened to a mustard seed. This isn't the mustard seed of faith that Jesus describes elsewhere that can uproot mulberry trees and uproot mountains, uh, but rather uh, this is a mustard seed being used for comparison for its smallness. And, and even there, its size is important for Jesus' illustration. But here, uh, he's talking about the way that although the mustard seed is the smallest of all the seeds, it has an unanticipated growth. When we see this teeny tiny seed uh, planted, it's surprising to see that it grows so big. So big, Jesus says, even that the birds of the air can make uh, find shade in it and make nests. One commentator noted that the very birds that would have liked to eat that seed can now make their home in its branches. Uh, we should learn uh, from this, and we might ask, what should we learn from this parable? Uh, I think that the point for us is that although the kingdom starts small, it expands to an unexpected size. Uh, the hidden and secret kingdom of Christ keeps growing. Uh, it's striking uh, that Jesus and his disciples are such a small group. Who, who would have uh, started any kind of a campaign so small as Jesus? Uh, one guy discipling a handful of guys, uh, you wouldn't think that would become much of anything. But somehow, they turned the world upside down. Uh, this is not expected. This uh, unseen kingdom that Jesus describes is the kingdom that we have citizenship in. Uh, we are citizens now as we await a future day. Uh, and that kingdom continues to expand as, as we grow in number uh, throughout the ages. Uh, somehow, in God's kindness, this little band of followers here have grown such that we today, on the opposite side of the world, get to hear the gospel. Somehow the gospel has reached to the opposite side of the world. Uh, that, that's marvelous. It's wonderful that we can live here and hear this saving message. The, the realities of the good news were worked out on the opposite side of the globe, and, and they have reached us now here. Jesus tells us elsewhere about how far this kingdom will expand, just how far will it grow. Uh, in Matthew chapter 24... On the Olivet Discourse, Jesus talks about this expansion uh, and 
Uh, it's not always flowery. It's not always uh, easy. Uh, I'll read as Jesus is describing in his Olivet Discourse in, in Matthew 24, starting in verse 9. He's describing the, the challenges that they will face in the end times. He says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world, the whole world, as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So when does the harvest come? It's not going to come until this gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, has been preached to all nations. Uh, now how do you define that? The ethne described there, is that people groups? Is that linguistic categories? Uh, missionaries debate over that exactly what Jesus is referring to there. But this kingdom is going to spread everywhere. Everybody will hear about it. By the end, before Jesus comes, this gospel message will have reached every corner of the earth. It will keep spreading. Although times will get exceedingly hard in the end, the gospel of this kingdom will be proclaimed as a testimony to all nations. Every nation and people group will hear of Jesus before he returns. That's how the gospel is going to go to the whole world. So as small as the mustard seed is, it's going to grow big. That kingdom begins small, but advances beyond anything that anyone would have guessed. So how do we live in light of that today? It should give us confidence that as hard as things get, God has not failed in this world. That as painful as following Christ might be, uh, he hasn't failed. Even under persecution, his good plan is going forward. We may feel the sting of this present evil age, but that doesn't mean that God is suffering defeat. He will continue his good plan and will harvest this world in his good time. God's kingdom will spread as he pleases. And we can see that in stories uh, like the story of Hudson Taylor and his work with the China Inland uh, Mission that he founded. In the 1800s, you may have heard of the missionary Hudson Taylor, pretty commonly known. Uh, in the 1800s, he went to China to serve as a missionary. His work began slowly, but he had pretty aggressive dreams. Uh, his humble beginnings led to a work that flourished in China. In, in 1865, the China Inland Mission was established, and the work continued to grow from there. Uh, around the turn of the century, in 1900, there was the Boxer Rebellion, if you've ever heard of it. It was a peasants' revolt in China that sought to expel all foreigners. Of course, the foreign missionaries are in the land and working, uh, and it was, it was a very bloody conflict, uh, and almost 200 missionaries were martyred in that time, uh, in 1900, in the Boxer Rebellion. But, even under persecution, the work continued. Uh, the, the work of the China Inland Mission was disrupted, though, when Japan, right before World War II, inv invaded China and began to spread its empire there, the work was disrupted, but it continued on. They were trying to shift their base around and figure out what to do. Uh, but the missionaries eventually were completely expelled from China. Uh, after the end of World War II, the nationalists in China and the communists were at war together. Eventually the communists won, and 
they designated all Western missionaries in China as imperialist spies. And they might as well had a target on their back at that point. And so the, the sending agency decided, well, we need, we need to pull our missionaries back. And it was a very uh, tear-filled decision, decision, I'm sure. So all the missionaries are pulled out of China that were sent with China Inland Mission. And nobody knew what was going on. What's going on in China while all these missionaries have been pulled out? I have to imagine it was a, a heart-wrenching decision. Uh, and for many of the missionaries, I have to imagine that it was tempting to think that the work had come to an end. Uh, there was a lot of concern among the missionaries as to how the Chinese Christians were faring when their, their leaders had been pulled away. Many feared that the spread of the gospel would have come to an end at that point. Uh, but an odd and very delightful different reality was coming about. Uh, in the days that followed the expulsion of the missionaries, the gospel went forward rapidly in China. The, the gospel spread wildly throughout the nation. Uh, today there are tens of millions of Christians in China. Uh, eventually, as the missionaries were able to return, they found that the Lord was doing an amazing work in their absence. Uh, the Lord is able to work when we are no longer able to work. We do what we can, and we do the best that we can, but it has to be God doing the work. And he is able to do far more while we sleep than we can do while we're awake and toiling. Uh, he has continued his work there. I heard a few years ago at one estimate that there are more followers of Jesus in China than members of the Communist Party. I don't know how you verify that exactly. I'm sure you can count up communists in China, but you probably can't count up Christians quite so easy. Uh, but the point is, the Lord has continued that. Uh, God is faithful to continue to, to do his work, and he calls us to work. He calls us to plant. Uh, we want to grow in the word and in Christ. We want to pray, and we want to entrust everything to him. This brings us to the end of our parables in, in Mark chapter 4. Uh, and we're going to continue on as we see the disciples as they get in that boat and they cross those waters and they'll find something more about Jesus uh, as they do that. So I'll ask Elizabeth to come and, and play and, and I'll ask the men to prepare for communion as we go to prayer.